Joe mentioned, Pastor Thomas in Australia, so you get me to um, I know, sometimes I tell Susanna's like, I don't know. I'm like, eh, well, you know, well, someone's got to do it. But, um, you know, what, what's funny is that Pastor Joe and I did not speak this week, so it's not like we synced this idea together, because I was just like, great introduction, Pastor Joe. It was, it was amazing. Um, and, you know, and again, it's kind of a confirmation, because sometimes when you're preparing stuff, you're kind of wondering, is this even like what you wanted me to do, God? You're kind of, you know, struggling, and then he kind of just confirms it for you, um, because I, I, that, was, that was perfect. But, you know, it, it kind of gave me a quick thought. How many of you would love to see manna come from heaven, right? To like physically, like it would be amazing to see that. But here's the problem with that. That in order for there to be manna, for there to be a need for manna, there's got to be some pretty bad stuff happening, right? I got to be in a position to need it. See, we don't want that part. I just want the cool, miraculous, you know, God just showing up supernaturally. But we want to avoid the stuff that requires God to act that way. So think about that. It's, it's, it's kind of a sobering thought sometimes. You're like, oh, that means I have to now go through stuff, right? So I, I read a lot, which my wife goes crazy because the Amazon delivery guy just loves our house. Like, hey, what's up, you know? Because um, I just, like, something will happen. I'll, like, find a book, and I'll, I'm, like, constantly reading something. And so I, I was reading a book recently, and it's a guy by the name, uh, the guy's name is Gavin DeBecker. And he is, his job or his kind of specialty, his expertise is threat assessments. He, um, he's a consultant that works with, like, you know, high-value individuals, uh, prominent politicians and stuff to kind of assess their need for security and, and, uh, and you know, uh, addresses it, gives them ideas, how do you deal with this, stuff like that. Done a lot of research with uh, victims of violent crime um, and kind of seeing, like, what, how, how do we prepare for that? How do we best uh, address this, this need? And... Um, it was interesting because one of the things in his book that he talks about is the book is called The Gift of Fear, which is kind of an odd you know, title for a book. Um, I think he, not being a believer, I don't think he understands it. What he's really talking about is the gift of discernment, to being able to discern when something is about to happen, right? In his book, he talks about like pre-attack indicators and all that stuff that we should be watching for. But in there, he talks about the fact that one of the worst things that we can do is constantly live in a state of fear. He talks about fear being a gift because he says it's good. Fear tells us when something's about to happen, right? When, he's, when he interviews victims of, of, of violent crimes, he usually gets the, you know, that came out of nowhere. I was blindsided, right? But after he spends time kind of going through what happened, they kind of come to this thing like, oh, I missed that right? Or I had this intuition and I didn't listen to it, right? And so that's really what he focuses on is really getting to that point where we can begin to not be in this heightened state of fear all the time so that when something is about to happen, we can be alerted and understand, hey, something's happening. Something is changing, right? And so again, you know, you, when you're going to preach, you always you find a message everywhere. You're like, ooh, I can like steal from that and, and, you know, kind of turn it. Because ultimately, life is about spiritual warfare. I don't care what anybody says, right? Everything that we do has to do with some kind of spiritual warfare. And, you know, how interesting is it that that happens to us in a spiritual sense also, right? We are blindsided sometimes by attacks. 
And we don't, where, where, you know, where did that come from? Where did that, why did that happen? Why is it that I didn't prepare for it or I didn't get to like be notified or be alerted to it when we really were? You know, Ephesians 6 tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if you really take time to break down that verse and and what it means, it indicates that there's more than one thing that's coming against us spiritually. We all, what's the enemy, right? So it's the enemy. And so we fight back, we do the shock and approach, and we just kind of hope that something hits that enemy, right? Well, I don't know anybody who is in, you know, tactics and understands warfare that does that. Because warfare is very specific, right? That's the whole point of tactics. You are specific and intentional about what you're doing because you are targeting the enemy, you're identifying, and then your attack is going to be based on what that enemy is doing, what their capacity is, and how do you incapacitate that enemy. But if we can't understand what is it that we're fighting we sometimes throw all this stuff out there and nothing happens and we're still attacked and we still suffer the consequences of that. So why does that happen? In the same way that that this man was talking about in the book, that that constant state of worry kind of inoculates us from the sense of that intuition of something's about to happen, right? And so if you're the enemy and you want to weaken us and make us susceptible, what's your best thing to do? Well, throw a bunch of static on our radar so that when there is an attack coming, I can't read it, right? I can't identify, hey, there's an attack about to happen, and here's where it's coming from, and here's who it is. When we look at what's happening in our world today, it's so easy to, you know, I... I, I, just this last week, we were sitting talking to some friends, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, are you preparing? Because do you know that this is happening? And, you know, and they're Christian. They're believers. And, and you know, and they're just bringing up all this stuff and, and whatever. And, and I, I'm just kind of like, eh. And they're like, oh, it's so nice just to have that. I'm like, no, it has nothing to do with, because if you knew what our situation was today, you would be kind of like, I would be worried. If you knew the situation in our home today, you would be asking, why aren't you worried? Why does that not stress you? And can it? Absolutely. But we kind of made a decision. Oh, well. I was going to do this a little bit, but sometimes my wife stresses with me because she's kind of like, oh, what are you doing? I, we've been through a lot in our life, and, and we've been through things, and some of it was self, you know, in posts. We did it to ourselves, poor decisions and all that wonderful stuff. But the one thing that I've learned is that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what you go through, regardless of what happens, if you believe and if you choose to stand on, yeah, I know we created this mess and I know that we did this and we made bad choices and, and all of this stuff, whatever, but if you come back and you humble yourself and you lay bef- your, you know, before God, Here's the thing. It becomes a testimony. And so my attitude now when we start seeing those attacks come at us, things are happening and and all this, here's my attitude to the enemy. You know what? I feel a testimony coming on. So, I mean, how can the enemy attack you at that point? What can he do to scare you, to, to instill fear in you, and to have you live in worry? If we get to that point where we just say, I know, trust me, there's something in me going, but here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm just going to believe in God. And this is what I wanted to talk about today. In in Matthew 6, uh, verses 31 through 34, we read, Therefore do not say, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry is the enemy of faith. Jesus is telling us, don't worry, right? What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all that. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These two things are exclusive of each other. You can't kind of do a little bit of worrying and a little bit of seeking his righteousness. You have a choice. I'm either going to worry because worry, worrying is thinking, what can I do? Right? Worrying is about me, my ability, my capacity, my understanding. Seeking his righteousness is about what he's already done. And that's the decision that we have to make. That's the choice that we have. And those two are completely exclusive of each other. It's one or the other in our life. And here Jesus tells us, don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Now that sounds real easy, right? That's like, okay, well that's all I have to do? Yeah, it's probably the hardest thing that you're going to do in your life. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad, right? When we worry, what is it going to do? Well, I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on uh, the study on stress, that, uh, you know, if you believe that stress is bad for you, we've been told this for years, stress is bad, it'll kill you, it's harmful to your health, all that stuff, whatever. Well, now studies are kind of telling us that it's not stress that kills us, it's the worrying about stress killing us that's going to kill us. If you believe, so they took 30,000 people and then, you know, kind of segmented them out, you know, do you, do you have stress in your life? Do you have a stressful life? Yeah, and they kind of broke them up. And, and then of that group, they said, do you believe this stress is harmful to your health? Well, yeah, okay, they broke those up. And then they watched them for the next eight years and watched to see who died. If you believed and you worried that stress was harmful to your health, you had a 43% higher chance of dying from stress-related ailments. For the people who believed that stress was energizing, they had a lower chance of death than anybody in the study of all the 30,000 people. They were at the very bottom of the, the, the risk. And they were kind of wondering, like, what is going on here? Through technology today, we can actually have some amazing work done. You can do some real studies into, like, what the body does. And, and so they've done some of that. And you see that, again, those individuals that believe the stress is harmful to them, there are some significant changes in their body when they're stressed. For those people who see stress as energizing, it's the same as, they have the same effect as when they experience joy or courage. That's how significant the difference is. Just in what you believe. It's crazy, right? Because... What I believe 
affects my body. Imagine what else it can do in our life. Right? Isn't, isn't it fast? I mean, I, I love medicine because it's fascinating to see how God created us and how well he knows us. And then you start to look at the instructions that he gave us of how to live, and they just add up. It's just taken researchers thousands of years to like catch up to what God gave us thousands of, you know, in his word a long time ago. But it's just, I mean, I, I, I think because I'm, you know, Susanna used to always tell me that I was the worry wart. Because I was. I, I was used to, like, everything was a, a fight. Everything was, oh, my gosh, we got to do this and we got to do that. And, you know, and, and, you know through the years, um, God has had to use a two-by-four sometimes to kind of sit me down and say, sit and wait. This is not your fight. I remember having one issue where, where literally God's telling me, this is not your fight. We, were, we went and we listened to someone preach one time, and that was the message. This is not your fight. And I was in the middle of, no, but you don't understand. I'm going to do this, and I have this lined up, and I have, you know, all this stuff, whatever, because I'm, I'm that guy who's just like, you don't have to, like, really ask for a fight. I'm going to, like, find it. I'm going to look for, you know, and, and, and I mean, and I think that God has, that's a, that's a gift, but I think I also have to be wise about it sometimes because it can be, you know, ill-used, um, if you want to say that. But, but I think that it's easy to rely on yourself, right? And over and over, God tells us, do not, do not rely on your own understanding, on your own ability, on who you are. Trust in me. Trust in me. Believe what I tell you, right? But instead, we sit here and we say, well, what am I going to eat? What am I going to do? So like, again, in Proverbs 12, it says anxiety is, is in the heart, causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So what is the word? Well, Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God has given us his word to live by, to apply to, and he says, meditate on this day and night constantly. This is where we need to be focused. There's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on in the world around us, but that cannot be what we rely on. That cannot be the end, like, all, be all, this is the truth. The truth is this. The reality of what's going on in our life may be that, but the truth is this. This is what God told us. And so what does he say? Psalms 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Right? Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? This is the word. This is what we stand on. This is what we take. This is what we walk out. You know, I, 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 I am reminded of Pastor Ralph because when he says, I will not fear what can man do to me, here is a guy who has every reason in the world to be bummed and depressed and, oh my gosh, how is this happening and why and all those questions. And instead, he takes over a prison, builds a church in it, and then there's hundreds of men that are in there who are the most needing it. They need this. If anybody needs this, it's the men that are sitting in there with him. And here's his opportunity to actually have a real-life captive audience. Right? To be discipled and to have the word planted in them. 
The worst of the worst are getting the gospel. What the enemy means for evil, God turns it to good. Right? I, I just, like I said earlier, we want that awesome stuff. We want those miracles and we want the supernatural stuff and we want it to all just like, yay. But we don't understand that in order for that to happen, sometimes we've got to be put in those places that we would rather not be in. And how many of us pray? Because I caught myself this uh, years ago where I, I kind of took a step back and looked at what am I praying? What are my prayers? And most of my prayers were like, Lord, let me win the lottery. Right? Lord, make my life easy. Right? I don't want to struggle, Lord. And what I found was that those things that we could classify as the worst things in my life are the things that God has used to promote me and to take me places that I never thought possible. Right? So what is our prayer? Make my life easy? Or you know what? Make a testimony of this, Lord. Let your name be glorified in everything that I do. Because we can, when we can embrace that and that becomes our, the motto of our life, guess what? The enemy has no authority in your life. He has no power. Because everything that he throws at you, yeah, you know what? Devil, God's name's going to be glorified through this, so bring it. Imagine the impact that that would have in the world around us if, as Christians, we can really live that. What impact is that going to have to the people around us who look at you and say, what's up with this guy? Nothing sticks, right? We're the Teflon Christians. Everything comes at us, and it's just water off a duck's back. But it doesn't happen just because we want it. It doesn't happen just because, oh, well, that would be nice, right? Two things. It's going to be a short message today, guys, because I think we're going through this really fast. Two things. First, we have to be a people of prayer. you got to write, like in, in, in Joshua 1, this book of the law, this, we have to be in his word, but then we have to be a people of prayer. It can't just be because I, I want it. I, I, you know, I, I work with individuals who um, find themselves in some of the you know, worst moments of their life and, and you know, through addiction or, or uh, criminal justice involvement and all this wonderful stuff. And, and it's not uncommon that they tell me, John, this is the last time. This will never happen again. You know, Pastor Joe goes to the jail, and I'm sure he's heard that. I, I don't know how many times, never again, Pastor Joe, I will never be back here again. Yet 97% of the people that go to Yuma County Jail repeat visitors, right? And, and when you sit there and talk to them, I guarantee you, I, I tell them, I don't, I don't doubt your intention for one bit. I don't doubt your intention. I believe you. I believe that your heart is, I don't want to be back here again. I don't want this to happen in my life. I want to put this behind me. But here's the thing, if I don't change anything in my life, nothing changes. And I find myself in the same place again. In spiritual, it's the same exact thing. If nothing changes in my life, I'm going to be struggling with the same challenges that I challenge, that, that I struggle through every day. 
And so we have to be people of prayer. We have to get on our knees, and we have to humble ourselves. In, in Philippians 4, 6, 7, it says, Remind us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say pray about those stuff that, you know, you kind of don't want to handle on your own. It says everything. In everything. Seek his direction. My wife, she's amazing. She's watching, so she's amazing. She she used to say when I was much younger, um, that when we got married, she said that... uh, her job was to walk around behind me with a little pin to pop my head because it would get too big because, you know, I thought I was so smart and so capable and so able and, and all this stuff, whatever. And she was just like, you were embarrassing. <laughs> and, you know, and God put her in my life for that reason, apparently, because, you know, I needed someone to really bring me down to earth and, 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 and move me away from relying on myself. And, and honestly, I can truly say, I, I grew up in the church. My parents were pastors, you know, the whole stuff, whatever. But, and, and, and my wife got married just before, or got saved just before we got married. And, and honestly, I can say that when we got married, I, I would watch her and I was jealous because she was on fire. She was just like, you know, the Bible says this, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, well, let me think about it. And she's like, think about what? Right? And, and, and she's been the one that has taught me this to really take a step back. And it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter. And, and how she did it, and kind of give you a quick, if you're married, this is how she did it. She would look at me and say, okay, you're the head. We're going to follow you. But the only thing that I ask you is that, did the commander give you that direction? That's all I'm going to ask you. Whatever you say, we'll do. But that's what I'm going to put back. And I would be like, huh? And it convicted me that she was so, like, that was her heart. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe you. But the only thing I ask is that you tell me that this is what God told you. And so it put me in that place where now I had to go back and say, okay, God, I know what I want to do. Is it what you want me to do? And, and, and again, there was times when God used that two by four to like get me to where, and I didn't like it. But yet I began to see how much better it worked how much more, how much easier things got. Easier in the sense that I wasn't the one making it happen. I I, I look at where I'm at today, and and I tell people this, I I tell my boss this all the time, I don't have the credentials, I don't have the experience, I don't have the background to do where I'm at. I don't. I show up every day to work wondering, what am I going to do? Because I, I, and I, this is my prayer to God when I go to work every day. I'm going in today, so you better show up. Because otherwise, we're all in a bad place. Because I've gotten to the place where I recognize that, and I know that it's not me. But the one thing that I have said, if this is where you take me, Lord, you show up, I'll do it. You know, I, I, I like, like Pastor Ralph, and I was saying, how many of us can actually be that one that says, okay, here I am, send me. I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but throw me in, coach. 
I'm ready. Let's do it. And when you have that heart and you're willing to step out and let God use you, man, some amazing stuff happens. You want to see the supernatural happen in your life? Do that. Trust him. Believe him. And when he leads you into something, step out in it. The last part of this, you know, we said be prayerful. The other part of that is we have to put into practice the principles in the direction that God gives us. You know, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, I told you worries about what I can do. Seeking him is about doing, knowing what he's already done. And believing in that and having that be the foundation for everything that I do. How do I not worry? I know his word now. And I begin to apply those principles. You know, he says give, right? And it'll be given to you. Well, but do you know what the economy's like, Lord? Yeah, give and it'll be given to you, right? Love God and love your neighbors. But do you know how they behave, Lord? Do you know what they did to me? do this, right? We begin to take and put into practice those things that God is showing us through his word. And you know what? That supernatural stuff starts to happen. We begin to see the miracles. We begin to see God move in the world around us. I mean, you want to be amazed? You want to be wowed? Start doing that. And you start sometimes in the smallest things and build your faith in that. You do one thing and all of a sudden, like I said, for us, we, we go back and we look at, you know, all the stuff that we've been through and, and, you know, that song, I love that song. I love that. I find myself during the week like, I'm in that song because I love it. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Because here, let me tell you the 20 different times that he did it in my life. So don't tell me he can't. That's where you end up. That's where you get to. That's where you get to see God really move and all those miracles happening in front of you. But it starts by applying those principles. And when you apply them, the worry goes away because I'm no longer trying to base my life on what I can do. 